All right, Uh, let's turn once again to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We are carrying on in our study on using the word. And the use that we want to make of the word, there are other uses, but um, the one that we are focusing our attention on in this series is uh, that uh, use of the word to... um, be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So as we are stepping through life, um, making decisions, choosing turn left, turn right, uh, go ahead, whatever, um, we want to make use of the word because the word is able to do this, right? Uh, That verse in Psalm 119 says, you know, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That's t- stating fact about the word of God. But if we don't make use of it, then uh, we are the worse off, right? Because it's available, it's there, it can serve this purpose, um, but it falls to us to actually uh, make use of it. So that's been what we've been uh, trying to emphasize. How do you go about making use of it? What would it look like uh, if you were making use of it? Um, what uh, kind of priorities go along with uh, making right use of it and so on? And here in Psalm 37, um, we actually in earlier passages like uh, Proverbs 3, um, we noted that sometimes we won't make proper use of it. And so uh, we will experience the chastening of the Lord. And so the word does give us counsel as to how to respond in those circumstances. Um, Psalm 37 is addressing another situation. And that is, you know, um, so as we set out on the path of making use of God's word to direct our feet and so on, and we look around us and we see the people in the world that are not making use of the word that way and they seem to be getting along just fine. And uh, that would put pressure upon us to abandon the path that we're on and do it their way, right? And essentially follow them and their counsel or their example rather than making use of the word to light our feet and to guide our path, right? So so Psalm 37 is really written uh, to address that aspect of our living in a world where not everyone is using the word to guide their feet, right? So here we are living in a world, not everyone is using the word to guide their feet, And uh, as we look around, it may seem that those other folk are doing just fine. And so this psalm is written to address that uh, aspect of life. Um, The the short version uh, is, you know, just wait a bit and they will all come to an end, right? Uh, And they will end up with nothing. Right, uh, less than nothing, God's judgment for eternity. Right, that's the short version. So you know, give your head a shake, folks. Right, I mean, you know, you're following God, and God has made certain promises. 
uh, both for blessing and for judgment, very, very clear in his word. And um, either he is lying or there is only one way, and that's God's way. Right? Really, truly, there is only one way. So um, that's sort of the, the short, you know, unfluffy version. It's like, you know, no, you know, they, they will end in destruction. And so we need to uh, keep that in mind. But uh, the Lord is a little more gracious and mindful of our weakness. And so he talks a lot more than the short version. And uh, here we have some, uh, not only do we have reminders of what will fall to the wicked, right? Uh, But we have the Lord coming alongside of us and saying in various different ways, you know, words of encouragement to keep us going on the right path. And so we've seen in verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and verily you shall be fed. And so uh, there is in, in that statement and that phrase, so shall you dwell in the land, that idea is picked up multiple times later in the psalm and it talks about uh, inheriting the earth, right? Which we know, you can tell Mrs. J is teaching the other class. She's way noisier than uh, Kaylee and uh, some of these other more reasonable teachers. (laughs) So, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Well, in this case, I'm trying to ignore her. (laughs) And it would be good for me if I could ignore her. So... (laughs) Anyway, so <laughs> that's right. Okay, so um, anyway. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so the, uh, there is this recurring statement about inheriting the land, right? And And again, that is... That is language that Romans 8 does pick up on. Romans 4 and Romans 8 pick up on and other passages of scripture as well, right? But what falls to those who are the children of God is that we are going to inherit the earth. And in Revelation chapter 21, the testimony is that we will inherit all things, right? And and so in the end, they seem to be prospering in their way but their prospering is only temporary. It is always only temporary. And even if it's 60 years, it's only temporary. Right? Those who follow the way of the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who delight themselves in the Lord, those who commit their way to the Lord, theirs is eternal. That's what verse 3 is implying, so shall you dwell in the land, right? So that especially has that eternal overtone to it. Um, So again, we are told to trust in the Lord. We are told to do good, right? So, So God's word is always only ever going to direct us to do good. It will never direct us to do evil, never, right? And so, you know, we can, we can put things to the test. You're facing a decision. One of the first questions you should, you should ask yourself in facing that decision is, 
are one of these options good and the other evil? Is that the kind of decision that I'm facing? If one of the options is evil, if it's morally wrong, as defined by God, not by the world around you, if it is a contradiction to God's word, then you know that it's the wrong path. Don't do it. Do good, right? And so there's that basic reminder there, trust in the Lord and do good. Right? You don't have to agonize over that one, right? I mean, once you've determined that this is evil, this is morally wrong, you're done. Right? You may have to pray to, for discernment to, to recognize whether it's morally evil, but having recognized it, you're done. Right? There should be no remaining question. Uh, verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. And uh, so again, here, this is, this is not, you know, the proverbial, you know, genie in the lamp, just rub the lamp and the genie will come out and give you whatever you want. And no, what, what comes first is delighting yourself in the Lord. And when you make him your delight, your desires will never be what displeases him because he's your delight and you don't want to displease him, right? And uh, so what is implied there is that as we delight in the Lord, our desires are for good, right? But that's helpful, right? Because in the end, we do need to be reminded that this isn't just about, here's this decision, do I do this or do I do that? It's about a relationship with a person. Delight yourself in this person, in the Lord, right? So keep that in mind. It's not just about you know whether you go here or go there or accept that job offer or not or you know do this marry that person or whatever. I mean all of that's part of life, but here's this person, right? Here's this God, right? And I need to remind myself that it's there's a relationship that is more important than any other relationship. Right? More important than my relationship with my wife, my children, my good people here in this church, right? My community. There is a relationship that is more important than any of those other things. And that's my relationship with God, right? And again, it's, you know, we ask the question, you know, what place should God have? Well, he ought to have the first place, right? It's seek first the kingdom of God. And so this delighting yourself in the Lord implies that, right? That he is your chief delight. And Jesus himself said, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. You love wife more than me, you're not worthy of me, right? Uh, and, and on one level, if I were to say that to anyone, I would be, you know, a, an arrogant, audacious, you know, who do you think you are kind of person. But when God says it, That is what he is deserving of, 
right? He is the eternal God, right? In him, we live and move and have our being. He is number one, whether we acknowledge it or not, right? And so what he's calling us to do is to acknowledge it. Yes. Yes, and so it's it's this um, putting ourselves um, at his disposal really is what is implied in that too. Uh, and then uh, verse five: Commit your way unto the Lord; trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So what's interesting here <clears throat> is we see the word trust mentioned again, same word as was mentioned in verse three. So that implies that this is something that we have to keep coming back to and reminding ourselves of, right? This idea of trusting in the Lord, you know, really believing him, uh, uh, believing the testimony of his word, laying hold by faith of his promises, uh, yielding to his counsel and direction, right? Um, making it ours. Uh, but the word commit is interesting. Literally, it, it's roll. It's the idea of rolling, like you would roll a stone in front of a sepulcher, a tomb, right? And so we are to roll our way to the Lord or on the Lord, right? And so it's, it's, it's this idea of just giving over to the Lord your way. Um, and, you know, if you think of it, is that not what that man did when he was on the ground on the road to Damascus after seeing the Lord in his glory in that bright light, brighter than the noonday sun, Saul of Tarsus said, Lord, what will you have me do? That's committing your way to the Lord. Here I am. I'm facing the dirt, right? Because I've seen your glory. And my way, what would you have me to do? I'm just rolling this to you. You get to call the shots, right? I am giving it all over to you. That's the picture. Right. So that, you know, it's that idea of, you know, I'm I'm stepping out of the driver's seat. You know, here's Bruce's machine. Right. And he's he's getting out of the driver's seat and he's giving it to the Lord. Right. Lord, you drive. Right. Um, But then that puts you on the shovel. Right. So (laughs) that's not a good place to, you know, you drive. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Okay, Illustrations only go so far. Right. (laughs) Um, so, but that is the idea, folks. It's that idea of, okay, here's my life. And, and really what I want is that, that it be given entirely to the Lord. I just roll it onto him. You, here's my life is yours. Whatever you want to do with it, be pleased to, to do with it. Right. 
uh, is the idea. And uh, so we have, the, again, this, this commitment or this statement to trust in him. And folks, isn't that the case? Don't you make yourself vulnerable when it's, Lord, what would you have me to do? Truly, if you're, if you're truly saying that, what you're saying is you can say anything and I'll do it. Right? You are making yourself incredibly vulnerable when you do that. That's why you need to trust him. Right? So that's why these two things go together in verse 5. Right? If you're going to make yourself vulnerable like that, if you're going to say, Lord, it, you know, here's my life and it's entirely at your disposal, my time, my talents, my abilities, my um, future, right? my, my resources, my assets, it's yours. Do with it whatever you want. Okay, we, you know, we make ourselves entirely vulnerable to him. That's the point, right? So we need to trust him. And what we will find is that he is always trustworthy, right? He is always trustworthy. Now, he, you know, he can direct in some pretty unusual ways. Uh, you look at the course, not only of biblical history, but of human history, church history, especially since the time of Christ. And you can find the Lord directing in some very unusual ways. Um, uh, you know, unusual in the sense of, you know, people wouldn't necessarily have chosen that for themselves, right? Uh, in the end, obviously, we see uh, from their testimony the good that came of it, you know, in the furtherance of the gospel and missionary endeavor or whatever it might be, right? Um, and so the Lord is shown to be faithful in all of that. But the idea is that that your life is to be put at his disposal. That is the idea, right? So that he is the one that gets to direct the steps, right? And um, that's challenging, right? It's easy to talk about on one level, right? Oh, yeah, we can. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, that's what the Bible tells us to do and so on. It's easy to talk about. It's another thing to do like to truly live it and to live it again the next day, right? Because it's not just a one-time thing because life decisions are happening all the time. And so it's just that we would have that constant idea of, you know, Lord, you direct the way, right? And you find example of that in the record of Paul's ministry uh, after his conversion um, on his second missionary journey, right? They were endeavoring to go into certain parts of, Galatia and so on and Bithynia and the Holy Spirit forbade them. He didn't permit them and they were pliable, right? They were directed and so they didn't go those ways until finally there's that vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so they took that as direction from the Lord and they went, right? So again, it's, it's that idea that, you know, the Lord isn't going to work necessarily in that way. Don't expect to see a vision, uh, but the idea would be that you are really putting yourself and your life at the Lord's disposal and wanting for him to make use of you and all that you have in whatever way he would please, right? To, to further his purpose, to glorify his name, to advance his kingdom, whatever, right? Uh, that we would make ourselves available to him, okay? Now, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a missionary in the, you know, go to some foreign field sense, 
I mean, all Christians ought to be, you know, ambassadors for Christ wherever you are. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a foreign missionary, right? Um, but it, it should mean that, that you are mindful of the Lord's direction in the living of your life as an accountant or whatever, you know, an equipment operator or a farmer or a bricklayer or a housewife or a retired person, that you are mindful of the Lord's direction and that your heart desire is that you would be pleasing unto him so that you use your time and your abilities and your resources. Some of you can cook really good food, right? And, uh, you know, we have been the beneficiaries of your really good cooking, just for an example, right? You use it to serve the body of Christ, right? That's a blessing uh, to other people. And uh, so the Lord can use use us that way, right? It's however, whatever I've got, put it at his disposal and allow him to use it, right, as he pleases. That's the idea, okay? And so commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Okay, so uh, he, there's, again, it's it's not that the the Lord is active in what he's doing, and what he's hoping to do, hoping, I say, uh, what, he, what he is doing in our lives. And it all fits with some of what we've seen in Romans chapter 8, um, you know, the working together, things for good, the Lord will do that. Um, and, and again, it's, you know, you're being stubborn and you're being selfish. If you are a true child of God, you know, you, your sin in that case of being stubborn and selfish and all of that, God's still going to accomplish his purpose, right? Uh, but, you know, it'll be through chastening, right? Because you're not doing what he wants you to do, right? Because he doesn't want you to be stubborn and selfish. And so you're making your way harder than it has to be uh, when we are stubborn and when we are selfish, right? So, uh, again, the Lord's counsel. All right? So it's interesting here, you commit your way to the Lord, you, you just make your, your, put your life at his disposal, trusting in him all the while. Verse 6, these promises, he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Right? And so to me, that is a testimony of his sanctifying work. Because I have no righteousness of my own. Right? Save what his spirit produces in me as the fruit of the spirit. Right? I have no inherent righteousness. So when it says he shall bring forth your righteousness, folks, that's the lived righteousness that Romans 8 was talking about. Right In the opening verses of Romans 8, way back when, uh, it wasn't 60 messages ago, but it was a few messages ago, um, in Romans 8, um, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's our sanctification. That that lived righteousness that would actually be fulfilled in us. So as we, Psalm 37 verse 5, put our lives at his disposal, trusting him, whatever direction he gives, what's going to happen? You're going to become more like Christ. Your righteousness, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. Right? You're going to become more like Christ. And that's going the idea is that's going to be evident. Right? Uh, sun doesn't shine so much here on the West Coast, right? Uh, but it does shine occasionally. Right? And when it does, yesterday when we're outside clipping the dog, our dog is bad. Okay, just saying. You know, all of the groomers have fired her. You know, I mean, she's just... So it falls to my wife. Praise the Lord for my wife. Okay, and it used to be that she could do it pretty much on her own. Not anymore, because the dog is that bad, right? It'll bite her. And so I've got to hold the dog, and she does the clip, and it's like, ooh, you you know... you know what I have to do, honestly? I have to shut my eyes because, you know, my hands are right there. And it's like, <sighs> anyway, another story. The sun was shining. That's why I went there, right? So I'm standing outside in the backyard and the sun was shining yesterday, right? And you know when the sun's shining. You know, right? It's like, whoa, this is great. And you feel the warmth and the heat and so on. And so the idea of verse six is, that, that your righteousness, the lived righteousness, the sanctified Christ-likeness that God will happen and do in you is something that will be observable by the people around you. By the people, right, who you were thinking, you're kind of here, you are, and you're kind of looking over there, right? And you're being you know, drawn by their prosperity or whatever. Hey, guess what? As you give yourself, put your life at his disposal, your life will be observable by them. And of course, God's intent is that they would be saved too, Right? And that's how he's going to do it, folks. He does it with peoples whose lives are surrendered to him, right? The peoples whose whose lives, they may be children of God, but if their life is not surrendered to him, they're, they're a hindrance to his work because they're the ones that those people talk about. Oh, yeah, you know, those Christians, what hypocrites they are. You see what I'm saying, right? So it's as our life is yielded and surrendered to the Lord, Right? And we put ourselves at his disposal. And we are actually using his word to direct our steps. Right? As a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As that actually is happening. Our sanctification, our righteousness is put on display. And that's the very thing that the Lord can use for the furtherance of his son's kingdom. Right? And uh, when we go and we talk to people and with our mouths share the words of the gospel, they have nothing to point back at us and say, yeah, but look at the way you live. I mean, I hear the screaming that comes out of your house, right? I live right next door to you. You're talking to me about the gospel and this is what I hear coming out of your house or whatever. Okay, you see what I'm saying? 
Or, you know, yeah, I mean, look at the way you cheat on your business dealings, right? That, that doesn't shine your righteousness as the noonday, right? It shines something else, right? Okay, so, so that is the implication of these verses. Uh, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. <laughs> you know, that's why that's here. Okay? Exactly. You know, it... Yeah. Well, we get impatient, don't we? That's the idea. We get impatient. You know, think of... Okay, you've got Bible example for this. Okay? Uh, think... Abraham and Sarah. God promises what to them? A child. And they've waited, you know, 10 ish years. 10, 11, 12 years, I forget. You know, so he came into the land at age 75. Um, let me just think here, do the math. Uh, 75, so that's 25 years from 100, and you go back 13. So they've been they've been waiting about 12 years, right? 12 years, right? And still no child, and they're not getting any younger, right? So what do they do? Here's Hagar. Well, shouldn't have done that. Should have waited patiently for the Lord. That was not. That was not done with the light of the word. God said, I'll give you, Sarah, and you a son. Right? So that's just one example, right? But again, think Saul, right? And he was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to come. And, uh, you know, there's Philistines out there. And you can hear the beat of their war drums or whatever, right? And you know they're mustering and, and your people are chicken and they're deserting and abandoning you and Samuel's not here. So I forced myself and I offered the sacrifice. And the Lord says through Samuel, you forfeit the kingdom, right? Because you don't wait. You don't follow the counsel of my word. And then, of course, he, again, with Amalek, where he spares the king and the best of the flock and all that, again, another evidence of him not following the word of God. He's not waiting on the Lord. And uh, truly, um, the seven-day one, though, of course, is the, the impatience example. So, again, there's that idea, right, of, of just that being willing to wait, right? And And sometimes... <laughs> You know, we've got an idea and we are we aware of a, a troubling situation and we want it fixed yesterday, right? And we want this addressed, you know, we we don't want to wait around. And and again, if, if that's the Lord directing you to get up and go and stop, you know, waiting around, then get up and go, right? But you really want to be certain that it's from the Lord. And if you don't have clarity, certainty, then it's probably better to wait, right? And I know I've had uh, conversations with some folk, uh, not anyone in this room, but 
um, over the years and not recently. Um, but, you know, where conversations about, you know, re- major changes in their employment or business situation. And, um, you know, you just kind of listen to what they have to say and the reasons why they're contemplating this and, you know, you know the, the information that they've gathered about the, the new option or alternative or whatever. And, you know, and you, you kind of talk to them about, um, you know, biblical principles and things of that sort. And what becomes apparent is that they have no real clear direction. There, you know, there is some something that's not quite right in the present situation, not quite right, uh, and so they're seeking to relief from that. But there's no clear direction as to this path being the right path, and so my counsel in those cases is, you know, I found that in cases like this where there's this ambiguity, that you know, probably better to just wait a bit, you know, make it a matter of prayer. Continue to explore opportunities and kick the tires on that option or whatever, but but until you're at the place where you can really say with with some confidence that you do believe this is where the Lord would have you to go, probably better to wait. Okay. Uh, so this idea of waiting patiently. Right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, um, we don't always have um, explicit statement of scripture that says, do this thing, right? In fact, you almost never have that, right? Um, so so what, what we're doing is we're trying to apply biblical principles to the choices that we're making, right? Um, and that's where, you know, there, there should be this com- combination of prayer, asking for wisdom, right? Um, doing, you know, sort of checking our thinking as to seeking first the kingdom of God, right? So um, making sure that we are putting the Lord in his rightful place in our thinking, and even that we put the words in our mouth that say, Lord, really, you know, I do want to do, you know, I want you, you know, to direct my steps. And I do want to do only what is well-pleasing in your sight. And that you articulate that to the Lord and, and you ask him to, to save you from yourself, right? I've, I've prayed that many times, Lord, that you know my flesh, the weakness of my flesh, save me from myself, keep me from misstepping. Um, so it, it's really those things that we've been studying that you, you make sure that you, you're putting those into place, right? 
um, and that you're prayerfully considering all of that. Um, that you're, you know, the Bible, multiple places, particularly in the book of Proverbs, tells us to uh, that in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And so that you've, you've sought godly counsel. Again, no human being is going to be able to tell you this is the will of God for you in many cases. Sometimes, you know, there is clear scripture, right? Uh, for example, if you're contemplating divorcing your wife, I've got some scripture for you, okay? So, you know what I'm saying? So, and I, I'm using an extreme situation, right? But, um, so... But it may be that, you know, a godly counsel can, you know, in asking questions and saying, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? What about this? What about that? Have you thought of? Um, here's this passage of scripture, whatever. And, and, you know, just that dialogue with you, uh, a multitude of counselors can help with that. So in other words, you know, you're doing you're, you're, you're actually implementing the biblical principles that we do know about, right? So I may not know, and the Bible may not say do option A instead of option B, but sort of the first thing is I need to be sure that I'm following the general biblical principles or, you know, who knows whether you're choosing the right path or not, right? And so you've got to sort of, it's that step back, make sure that you're doing those things. And then if, if it ends up, I guess what I'm talking about at the moment is that if it ends up in a situation where, you know, it's just like I, I still, I'm still left with this uncertainty, then what I would suggest is wait, right? Wait. If you're left with uncertainty, it's maybe it's because there is uncertainty, so wait, right? And true. Yeah, exactly. So, so in other words, again, it's in a, like it is. It's not. There's not a precision here, right? Because every circumstance is different, um, but we should we should seek some clarity in our decision making right in light of the biblical principles that we've been talking about and uh that then is what the lord uses to direct our steps right um but don't don't be in such a rush that that waiting is not an option that's the point right it may be that waiting is exactly what you ought to do right Okay. So the first part of this verse, rest in the Lord. Right. I would think that when the Bible tells us everything is prayer and thanksgiving and requests be known unto God, right. the seeker God, the path of understanding will guard your heart and keep your mind. Right. You know, if you're not resting and you're not trusting right. in his, that he can direct your path. Right. You won't have peace, and that's really what I, what I would say. You know, like it's not just a feeling, but it's you have assurance from God that this is the way, right. and you've sought Him in every word of your right. of that. You've committed it to Him. You trust. You're trusting. You're waiting. Eventually, God's going to honor that. Right. right? 
he will make your path straight. He's not going to withhold yeah. his will and purpose for yeah. your life. Yeah. Yeah, God God doesn't play hide and seek as such, right? I mean, he's you know, but he but you know, sometimes he knows that that we really are not to the place where we are submitted to him as we ought to be. And so so he is going he is going to make us wait, right? Another example with Saul of what's interesting is, you know, at, at the end um you know, just before his death, uh, the indication is the Philistines were amassing and, you know, he had sought the Lord and he couldn't, you know, no answer or whatever. And so what does he, what does he turn to? He turns to a medium, right? A spiritist to bring up Samuel so he can ask Samuel, right? And, and what's interesting is later, in the book of uh, First Chronicles, uh, the scripture actually indicts Saul for seeking the spiritist rather than seeking the Lord. And Saul might say, well, I sought the Lord. He says, well, you didn't wait, right? And, and instead, had you waited? Had you not sought that medium? Had you, had, you, had, had you cultivated a heart that would wait for the Lord earlier in your life, Right? So, I mean, obviously it's history and he dies and, and all of that. But, but it's, it's held up in First Chronicles. It's held up as an example of he didn't, he didn't seek the Lord. He sought that medium. And uh, so it is this idea of waiting on the Lord. Interestingly, I've got a marginal note next to the word rest in my Bible. And the marginal note says the Hebrew is be silent to the Lord. Um, and so part of that is, you know, are you know, and you think wait patiently for him. You know, some of it is we are just so busy, you know, with making our plans and talking about our plans that we aren't we aren't, you know, just just be quiet. Talk to the Lord for a bit, right? And and wait on the Lord. Yeah, sometimes it's that too, right? Uh, you know, complaining about how hard the way is or whatever. But so, so it's it's that idea of okay, you know, maybe there is just this quietness before the Lord, right? That that is part of what has to happen. Um, you know, we're in such a rush, and uh, we've got to get it all done and whatever. But but are we really really taking the time uh, to seek the Lord? And uh, you know, Jesus uses the illustration of people that uh, don't count the cost. And this man undertakes to build a tower, but problem is he didn't, you know, he's in such a rush on the front end, he didn't count the cost and he he's not going to finish. And now you've got this white elephant and everyone's like, oh yeah, there's Fred, built the t- started the tower, couldn't finish, whatever, right? And so the implication is... You know, we do need to count the cost. We need to take the time to to really uh, wait on the Lord and have some direction. It's interesting also that this verse uh, brings in the context again of the people around you who are prospering in the way. They bring their wicked devices to pass. And, and again, the implication is that you're, you are allowing the 
prosperity of the world around you to pressure you. You know, the stock market's going to do this. You better sell or buy or whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so there's this pressure. Real estate market is going to do this. So you better, there's this pressure, see? So this resting in the Lord and waiting patiently, that verse puts it in the context of the swirl that's happening around you and the prosperity, the evident prosperity that's happening around you. And so there's that to keep in mind as well, right? That you you mentioned, Well, you know, I've committed to the Lord and it's done. Yeah. Just talking to God about it. Yeah. Like, there's that intimate relationship part that we have to trust. Right. Now, we can take the counsel of others, and then we talk to God about that as well. Yes. Because ultimately our confidence is, you know, are they giving me godly advice? Right. Or or, or do they have the philosophy of men mixed in there, right? right? Because right. You, I, you and I have had this conversation before, but even the best of men yes. can fail. Yes, for sure. So, godly counsel, there's right. the, the first word, godly counsel, is right. what you need. Right. Yeah, and so it's it is that you know that's part. Although it's not mentioned specifically in this verse, right? That's part of you know, our gathering of that counsel. But in the end, it's that idea that that having committed my way to the Lord, right? Okay, having put my life at His disposal, verse five and six. You could view verse seven as, "Don't get back in the driver's seat." Right? Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Right? We are so inclined to get back in the driver's seat. Mm. Yeah, no, not not necessarily the well, best thing to do. Yeah. 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 And 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 again, we need to not run our life by emotion, right? And we need to run our life by precept. And firstly, the precept of God's word. And then obviously there are other factors. But so unfortunately, there's there's it's a process. Right. But I say unfortunately, because we would like to have, you know, that, you know, vision or the writing in the sky or the, you know, just make it easy. But part of our growing in Christ likeness is coming to put God in his rightful place and it's those issues of life that test whether we've put God in his rightful place right and so the this is life we live life and you you're faced with decisions and you have to make choices and nothing stays the same forever 
doesn't in this life, right? Short as it is, it doesn't stay the same forever. And so you will be forced to make choices. And so those choices are used of the Lord to reveal sometimes to ourselves and only to ourselves that mm, I've got some some work to do. <laughs> um, but the Lord will for sure use them to further our likeness to Christ. And our desire is that it's not because of chastening for not following. Our desire is that it furthers our likeness to Christ because it's given us an opportunity to do it right. <laughs> and it does give us an opportunity to do it right, right? And uh, so that's what we're, why we're taking the time to study this because we do want to take the opportunity to do it right by God's grace. And again, we're not going to, none of us do it right every time uh, or to every, in every detail. Um, and the Lord is so good to bear with us long and to bear with us patiently. But again, not an excuse to presume upon him, right? It's no, I don't want to just, you know, presume on God being long suffering and oh, well, you know, there'll be another time. Mm, that's not, you, you got a lot of work to do if that's really the way we're thinking, right? No, we can't think that way. That's too cavalier, too careless, right? All right. Um, there are just a couple of other things here. Uh, let me just take a minute. So verse 8, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall cut off, but those shall be cut off but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Folks, anger often is a symptom of impatience. Why are you so angry with that person? Well, they're not doing it right. You know, I've told them and they're not getting it right. Well, did you get it right the first time you had to do that? 40 years ago? Right or whatever you've been doing it for forty years, and and you know here's this person the first time he's done it, and you're mad at him because he didn't do it right. Just using that as an example, right? So, in other words, um, there is a connection here. Verse nine connects verse eight with waiting on the Lord. So seven, eight, nine are a bit of a unit, and included in there is this idea of ceasing from anger. Um, the wrath of man, God can use it to praise him, but it doesn't work the work of God, right? Um, James tells us that. Uh, James, let me just find it here. Hebrews James. <clears throat> he says, there is the book of James. Um, he says, let, where did it go? Um, he says wherefore my beloved brethren James chapter 1 verse 19 let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath why? for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God right and so you know we need to be very careful oh well it's righteous indignation really? you know the Bible talks about wrath and anger a lot. Uh, 
It even talks about God having wrath and anger. So you know not all wrath and anger is sinful. But what's very interesting is almost... I've done a study on this, by the way. I can give you my notes if you want. But um, almost every instance where wrath and anger are used in the Bible in reference to man, it's an instance of sin. Almost every time. All right. Uh, so what that tells you is most often... Our wrath is sinful wrath, most often. And the Lord says, cease from it, because you're, you're not working the righteousness of God. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to make decisions that you ought not make if you're making them mad. Right? Oftentimes that's a reaction. Right? And if you react that way, you likely will regret it. Right? And then, I mean, there are various other things in here. You have, again, verse 34, that emphasis to wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, then you shall see it. Again, folks, we're in it for the long game. We're not in it for the short game. We're in it for the long game. We're living for eternity. Right? So let's make sure that the decisions we make now will bear fruit eternally, right? And that's where following the Lord will will happen that. And then, uh, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And again, that's not an excuse for carelessness in our decision-making, but it is an encouragement because we will fall occasionally. We're not going to get it right. But the Lord is such a good God to us uh, that he is able to help us and he is able to uphold us and he is able to make us stand. And if there is confession of sin that needs to happen, do that, right? Uh, but but get back up and follow the Lord, right? And uh, God is so good to us that way. All right, let us close in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for being a father to us, a good father to us. Um, and we pray uh, that you would help us. We have spent many weeks here uh, considering using your word to guide our steps in our walk our customary conduct in life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to put into practice these things that we have studied. And, uh, Lord, we pray uh, that we would be able to think through and maybe even review these things uh, that we've talked about these many weeks and pick out the highlights of things that we need to be sure we are implementing in our own lives and our own circumstance. And uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you would graciously direct our steps so that uh, our walk is worthy of you, so that it is well-pleasing in your sight, so that we do glorify you and our lives are used for eternal good, the advancement of your son's kingdom. Save us from ourselves, Lord. And we say that not in a presumptive way, but Lord, we desire that 
we would have a heart that is seeking first your kingdom, a heart that is humbling itself before you, a heart that is not trusting in its own way, but truly yielding to you and desiring that you would have your way in our lives. Lord, what would you have us to do? May that be our prayer day by day. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.